Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's Wrong with the Podcast. Today, we're happy to be speaking with Dr. Lu Hu. Dr. Hu joined the University of Montana as an assistant professor in 2017. Before UM, Lu obtained his PhD at the University of Minnesota in 2014 and then completed a postdoc training at Harvard University. He went to China University of Geosciences in Beijing and experienced serious air pollution issues. Since then, he has determined to study atmospheric chemistry and contribute scientific knowledge for people to achieve and breathe clean air. Dr. Hu's group is a joint experimental and modeling research program studying atmospheric organic chemistry and air pollution. The overarching goal is to improve understanding of the chemical composition of the atmosphere and how it is influenced by human activities and natural processes. His research group uses a combination of field observations, satellite data, and atmospheric modeling to investigate the origins, chemistry, and transport of volatile organic compounds and their implications for air quality and climate locally and globally. Current projects focus on global tropospheric ozone budgets, long term changes of trace gases in the atmosphere, and land atmosphere exchange of organic carbon. Welcome to our podcast. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Lu Hu. He's an assistant professor at University of Montana in environmental and analytical chemistry. Lu, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for making the time. We're very much looking forward to this conversation. Please tell us more about yourself. Well, as I said, my name is Lu Hu, and uh, I'm, I'm an atmosphere chemist. I studied air, and particularly on those、uh, chemical composition of the air. And we do a lot of、uh, field measurement for just to answer the question what's in the air and what's the implication for air quality and climate? Well, that is a great question.、Uh, <laughs> what is in the air? Let's start off with that. And what is not working for us that is in the air? It's,、uh, it's, it's for people thinking about typical thinking on the air, when they just look at the,、um, the sky, it's blue sky, right? And you have. Clouds and water vapor, and people talking a lot, a lot about greenhouse gas as part of the climate system. And there's also tons of those、um, very tiny、um, particles that's called particulate matter. That's what people typically hear、um, the terms about haze in Asia, in China, in India, those, those type of things. And also, those particulate matter also people tend to refer them to、um, like the smoke, you know. And, For example, if you're living in the West, this、uh, white fire smoke is, is,、uh, is uh, frequent topic almost every summer, right?、Um, those are because of those small fine particulate matter that absorb and reflect the sunlight, so that、so、you can see those, those tiny、um, things affect those how, how you can、uh, see far away. But beyond that, there are also tons of、um, gas phase,、um, we call trace gases. And something, those、um, things we are interested in called volatile organic compound. And themselves are air toxic. And some of them can actually make people、um, have those、uh, allergies on skin, eyes, itching, feeling. And some more serious one may cause human cancer. And so those,、uh, those all.、Um, Tend to be、um, emitted through、um, the process of combustion. Either you 
combustion of fossil fuel, like they burn in the, um, the fossil fuel, the gasoline in the car or power plants, coal, natural gas, or as a byproduct. And it also can be just coming from those uh, um, you burning biomass, for example, the burning trees. You have campfires and those kind of smell. You can you can tell. And on the some people do not tend to no, general public do not tend to know would be um, actually the uh, those uh, volatile organic compound are also as byproduct of photosynthesis. So they can mm. also be emitted just by trees and healthy trees and or when on the stress of the flood or uh, or um, uh, droughts, those those heat stress, they all can they can emit those um, trace gases, and they're all playing an important role in terms of air pollution, and some of them are also playing a role in the climate systems. That is so interesting. I had no idea that when we're stressing the nature. That is also sort of even becoming more of an issue to what we're already facing. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, stress in the, in the nature and as the temperature rising and CO2 um, in the atmosphere getting increasing, that's also playing uh, as a stress to the vegetations. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And so I think if we sort of like break it, break down what you said, explained in terms of maybe indoors and outdoors. Mm -hmm. So it seems like due to, again, like human related processes, we are facing many, I guess, like toxic, would that be the right term, things in the air that is, um, you know, unhealthy for human beings and apparently causing stress on the nature and causing all these other things that we talk about, like climate change. Um, and then some of the things that you talk about, like VOCs, are then also a concern in indoor air quality, right? And so while we are, I think this is a really interesting subject for us because while there is like this, you know, more consciousness around creating healthy spaces, especially in the context of what happened last year and with the pandemic, and well, I guess it's still also happening. Um, there's much more concern around having good air quality and indoors, but there are also, so many factors of this that could add to it or take away from it right so how can we sort of like um can you give further examples i guess in terms of like materiality i guess we talked a little bit more on like outdoors but also indoors that could sort of add to those issues yeah totally i think that's uh, i think it's indoor air quality definitely should be a very interesting topic and may relevant to a lot of audience of this podcast and this uh, myself, my research area is in the outdoor air quality. And so, but this last year just gave me a wake up call and thinking about how much time, how many hours is spent indoor and office at home or in a commute in a car or train, right? That's uh, definitely is a very important uh, topic to discuss. And it's highly relevant to um, human health and uh, exposures, right? And so one thing to think about is, uh, is the air inside an oxide exchange, right? You have a bad air oxide that, may, that would impact um, the air quality inside. But if you inside air is also, uh, if that's a significant uh, source for air pollution, they can also come ox go oxide. Yeah, mm -hmm. get a permitted oxide. So that's a part of the, the project we are doing. So we're going to have a field campaign in, in Fairbanks, Alaska this winter to look at those indoor and outdoor air change. 
because in the US, in, in general, those air quality oxide are improving over the last decade, last several decades because mm -hmm. of those uh, EPA and those cars get cleaner, power plants get cleaner, etc. But this is for cities like Fairbanks, and that's actually ranking pretty high in terms of most polluted city in the US. And part of the reason for over there is the wintertime air pollution because it's cold and also have thermal inversions. So a lot of the uh, pollutant get just kept at the very surface layers. And part of the uh, unique things about Fairbanks is also it's cold and people um, tend to use a lot of source for just for residential heating. Mm. And one thing we have hypothesis think that winter time they may just because of residential wood burning as a heating source or some oil um, burning stove mm -hmm. and burning at heating so they make as a big source for air pollution and in combination of the cold winters so that's uh, that's uh, will be the issue uh, over there for the winter time so part of the uh, question we're trying to answer is when people burning woods or have those any whatever those uh, heating source at at a house would they have higher exposure at house in the house or um, maybe it'd be higher than oxide here. Um, but um, one way you mentioned that also people spend a lot of time inside. So that's definitely matters a lot. Yeah. And, and in addition to uh, not just the winter or um, up north uh, for those cities, in general, this, when we think about indoor air quality, that's uh, uh, new furnitures, pans, or um, as part of the those uh, volatile organic compound inside, right? And also in the buildings, like office building or apartment buildings, they'll have those ventilation systems and then how they circulate air, how they remove the air particles or even some uh, trace gas pollutant. Definitely requires a lot of thinking and maybe as, as some collaborations among uh, designers and some chemists to, uh, to work on to improve those those issues. Um, I, I mentioned last year was a wake up call is because I, um, I have a lot of uh, um, uh, collaborators and colleagues doing uh, fine particle aerosol research. And they uh, mentioned a lot, have a lot of discussion about just uh, inside the ventilation, how that can improve, kind of mitigate the COVID transmission risk mm -hmm. inside, right? And some other idea is put, could be pretty simple just for public schools, you know, when students come back to the class and open the window and if, if, if the weather permits, and that can just improve the air exchange rate inside LXI that can um, uh, substantially lower those uh, transmission risk. And right. for the uh, winter time, also have a discussion talking about just have uh, for those uh, air cleaner inside, right? and to keep filtering this particular matter, particular matters inside, and that can also help. Um, so there's a lot of things. I think this definitely in the, um, in the future years, I hope that we can have a lot of discussion about indoor air quality, and particularly involve some of the audience of this podcast and people thinking about how actually we can improve those uh, uh, living space, the quality of living space, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it was, 
it's an area where like we're saying that last year was a wake up call and it's so true um, because these like existing ventilation systems, while they're still in place, no matter what we do indoors and all the six feet and, you know, the plastic partitioning and whatnot, like so much of that conversation is just like a very minor effort to fix, but it's not even effective, right? And I think a lot of the immediate rushed design solutions were around that, like the six feet office or plastic partitioning. But in the end, as long as we don't address air, a lot of the things like, you know, a virus, but also even like all these other, you know, VOCs or potential toxins that could accumulate due to like repurposing the same air indoors yeah. um, could result in many health issues. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, what's interesting to me, and it, you know, we're talking a little bit about solutions as well. Um, when we're looking at, you know, when we're talking about in the context of climate change, we're talking about a tipping point, right? And with that tipping point, you know, we're saying we cannot reverse so much of the things that we're doing. And does this like in, in your research, does this sort of imply into, you know, both indoors and outdoors, if we are putting all this into the earth right now and to our indoors, how much of this can we reverse by solutions? Yeah, I think you're asking um, some very big questions. I think a lot of scientists, very smart people and engineers and entrepreneurs that are thinking about these. And um, I don't have a, a simple answer for that. But my take sure. is, is uh, that we have to start now. Um, mm -hmm. And and some of solution may buy us some time for uh, some uh, um, short-term solution may buy us some time for um, maybe in the next 10, um, next decades or something, we'll get a more permanent solutions um, in terms of attack um, climate change, yeah, yeah. But one thing I'd like to say, some of the work we have been doing uh, last year um, related to COVID is also to look at those uh, COVID impact um, those economic shutdown, how they impact air pollution. So that's uh, provides some as a kind of a tiny window to help us to pro the features. Yeah. Um, in the future, when we have, suppose we have all those um, uh, the cars have zero emissions, right? Do not emit CO two, at least not emit CO two in the cities, like cars or power plants get even more cleaner, those kind of things. The last year is, is accident, was accident, uh, natural experiment. Well, um, uh, those, it's not the accident, it's, 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 uh, this experiment we can, we did. Yeah. Uh, just the people, when people not traveling, when people not commute, not much of driving activities, you know, and you think that a lot of pollution get just decreased, right? You don't see the particular matter in the air. And right. so those general things would have anticipated. That's all um, what we saw. But this, this also, the story is much more complicated than that. And for in terms sure. of air pollution, there are um, some pollution we call the primary um, pollutant that's directly coming from those sources. But there are also some other um, pollutant we call the secondary pollutant, secondary mm -hmm. air pollutant. They're not directly emitted at the source, but rather they get formed in atmosphere mm. through those precursors. 
for example, those ground level ozone, that's what we, um, we talk about. Um, um, O3, that's a chemical formula, that's also regulated by EPA. So they are not directly coming from tire parts, but rather they, they're formed through chemical reactions, through VOC and other NOx and those, those other pollutants. So what we've seen and what other scientists seen across the globe, and this, this is not, nothing new in atmospheric chemistry. We know that for a while, but last year was really the, uh, the uh, real world experiment we can, we, can, we can use this data to tell the world. When you cut the emissions, cut those primary emissions, obviously those pri primary pollutants are gonna decrease, but those secondary pollutants sometimes they can also increase. That's, mm -hmm. For example, you see those see studies in, in uh, LA, they, they see the particular matter decrease, but actually the ozone, is, the ozone formation actually is increasing in, during the pandemic and the shutdown um, last year. So what this tell us, at least from uh, air uh, quality management perspective is there's much more work to do, uh, right. much work to be done. Um, so that's, in, that's uh, that's that's what I'm thinking. That's uh, um, but we have just started now. Wow, that's uh, fascinating to hear. It's almost like you know when we talk about a virus and a mutation. You know, like we are putting out these like primary air pollutants. We have no idea what interactions that's also causing. That is sort of having the pollution itself evolve and create these other like chemical reactions to further make it worse and you know like we think you know oh this is our output so like we have conversations and we do discuss these are temporary solutions like offsetting but it's not necessarily the cure because still like the primary pollutants are actually leading to other like secondary things that i'm sure and i guess you can definitely talk more about this we don't have full knowledge around right like we know some of these chemical reactions but potentially not all or are, do we i think in terms of general knowledge we have we have general knowledge about what's happening in you and that's actually what uh, hmm. again it's we have been adams chemists uh, have been uh, studying this for at least two or three decades already and that's uh, uh, we know those those chemistry involved in the secondary protein but what I was saying that's last year that's, that was the actually those those data we're seeing from those uh, that experiment during a shutdown right and we have series to explain that and um, one thing you mentioned the climate change I think this we have to mention and uh, come back to a carbon dioxide right that's that's also some of data we've seen from last year the COVID um, economic shutdown um, make a lot of uh, decreasing for those primary air pollutant, but I actually don't see much of the change for the atmosphere CO2 level um, as we'd anticipate mm -hmm. like uh, much larger, we think it will be have a large, much larger change for atmosphere CO2 uh, change, right? But actually it did not change that significantly. It's, uh, um, it's, it's definitely suggesting there's much more work to be done in terms of to control those greenhouse gases. It's something activity similar to um, COVID ec economic shutdown, uh, no, not enough. Right, right. And I guess this ties well into, you know, clear, clearly from what you're also like suggesting, yes, we do have a lot of work to do. And it does seem to require a global 
and diverse disciplinary collaboration in order to be able to address this. And we're talking about, you know, various means of uh, emissions, different type of air pollutants. And then we're also talking about these like secondary uh, pollutants that are happening from chemi uh, chemical reactions. Um, in, in your opinion, uh, and we know we need to start now, if not yesterday, but what are some of like the collaborative big picture ways to address um, these issues that sort of like both you know, to help with outdoors and also indoors? I think um, in terms for, um, I would say um, atoms of chemistry itself is, uh, both has a lot of fundamental science. That's what we are doing. But obviously what we do also have society implications, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's, I think for, for academia is have, thinking about more about uh, society implications and starting to build those collaborations with uh, um, stakeholders um, to really think about how for some of those knowledge we learn, how they communicate to the public, how they communicate to the society. And I would say those interdiscipline collaborations will be uh, really needed to, to get this started, to think about that. It's not just the solution is not just uh, academia is part of the solution, but it's not obviously it's, it's just a tiny part of the solution. Right, right. Um, and we also like ac the academic community have such grave knowledge and deeper understanding of what's going on. There's the risk of like keeping that knowledge there and not necessarily have it trickle down if there's not there aren't many collaboration between designers, city planners, architects, builders, all, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, again, we're talking about indoor air quality. That's, uh, that's one of the uh, concrete way we'll be thinking about how actually can have some um, just low cost sensors for air quality monitoring. And I see a lot of people start to uh, look at just the, uh, uh, low cost sensor for CO2, put in the room, put in the classroom, can tell you those in general sense about the ventilation of that room, whether you're getting the room too crowded. And, and, and in the middle of pandemic, that's obviously increased the risk of uh, virus transmissions. Right. So we're starting to see the people uh, bring those, those portable uh, CO2 sensors when they, when they travel, when they're on the airplane, you see that in the readings. I can give people a general sense about that. I would say that some of the concrete idea like that, um, or have something, some kind of indication um, at the restroom, and, and the restroom and people um, when they go there or go to shopping mall, and they have an indication of, oh, what's the air over there? And should I stay longer or should I leave now? Hmm. Something like that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because we always talk about the challenge between like that we face when we're talking about these big terms, right? Like climate change, air pollution, or air quality. And often uh, we, we do understand that it requires this like much bigger scale, public, private, multidisciplinary collaborations in order to address these. But at the same time, on a day-to-day -day basis, what do we do? Right, like where do we start? So I think these are great 
like concrete examples to both like raise awareness and potentially, you know, encourage action. Anything else that you sort of like have seen that really could work or recommend that could be part of the day-to-day -to, -day to sort of like raise general consciousness around this? Yeah, I think it's general consciousness is a good way to put it that and people, as I, I grew up in China, that's, uh, and I think it's when I first came to the United States for my graduate school, this first impression, oh, sky is so blue. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was 2008, I, I, I started to appreciate that, you know, wow. but when you, when you live there for, uh, when you live in an in environment, um, you don't see the blue sky every day or you have those uh, pollution, doing that on a daily basis, you start to, uh, I would not say ignore, but it's, uh, you tend to um, not pay attention to that. Right. You know? So um, um, until you have this contrast, um, so uh, awareness definitely is is, uh, is very important thing. That's actually what's what's also um, happening. Thinking about uh, air pollution in China, that's how they improved over the last uh, seven or eight years. Is because public awareness. That's uh, mm. uh, it's, it's a long story about that. Um, so we can spend another <laughs> half an hour talking about that. But that's that's uh, uh, those um, grassroots pressure. Uh, let's make the government to to um, implement those uh, strategy for mitigate air pollution and greenhouse gas. So that's what happened. Right. Um, so I would say, make in general, people they, you don't see that. Until right. don't people do not if you take it um, this is a, is a, that's a way to think, say is uh, because we don't see that we take it for granted right, right. and but those public awareness make people well that's what's in the air that's can really make people to appreciate yeah and, definitely and thinking about what's going to air and how we can how we can control some of those pollution emissions yeah it's like two two layers to that i think what you're saying is very interesting and sort of like uh gives insight into human behavior and like psychology like number one um if you're seeing sort of like a brownish air every day it's almost like even if that was problematic to you in the beginning it's like we numb towards it right like we become yeah. numb towards it so we're like oh you know it is the way it is like we sort of go into this acceptance mode even if it like affects our health and we do see like so many health related issues with uh, with for people living in those environments and so that's a big risk, right? Like when we sort of grow numb towards it or start ignoring it because we're in it the whole time, um, that is one big problem. And the second one is that because we don't see it, we don't understand the urgency on it, like as a constant reminder. It's almost like, you know, if I drop my food on a surface and I, if I, like, I would feel okay with eating it right away, right? If, because I don't see anything, if I don't see anything on that surface. But if I was looking on that surface with a microscope <laughs> and saw all the germs, it's very unlikely that I would pick that up and like eat it. So I think, you know, that visibility does not necessarily always exist. Uh, at the very extreme circumstances, it does. And we don't necessarily just hang out in those environments, but so much of the time we don't see. And that's sort of 
makes us forget too. So what you said in terms of, you know, this incorporation of sensors uh, and just like these indicators and cues that can't serve as like constant reminder of our own behaviors. I think that could potentially, you know, reflect in more healthy ways to our day-to-day -day behaviors. Like, do I drive or do I bike going there? Uh, also like, reflects in corporate environment and therefore business decisions and it goes from there. So I think what you said in terms of like grassroots efforts and like having that consciousness and awareness seems to be the starting point. Otherwise we will have to wait for like policies and regulations that sort of inhibit us from causing anything, which might be too late also. Yeah, policy that's typically this, uh, the, um... It's coming to a very late age, right? A very late yeah, stage. Always. It's, uh, always the science. If you think about one way I'd like to uh, teach in my um, environment chemistry classes, you think about ozone pollution um, policy, how to control um, NOx or VOC. And scientists know that since the 1980s. But yeah. the policy um, policies uh, started implementing this uh, in later 1990s. Some of those, wow. that's at least one decade late. Um, wow. And if we have some a grassroots um, effort, and that's may um, kind of speed up this um, process. Yeah, and you know, both like so, and also with that, we need to think about two things. We need to think about like how we are contributing to be more of a solution today, and stop like unhealthy behaviors. Um, and at the same time, reversing what we already have done, like all these examples you gave about last year, which is really like a real life experiment, as you said, uh, shows that even if it stops or very uh, like the CO2 emissions, for example, sort of goes to the minimal that it could with the existing infrastructure and systems in place, um, we're not necessarily reversing anything yet, right? So I think like, that conscious, like we have two things to sort of address to, like start changing behavior today and start thinking of like how we reverse what we already did. Yes, yes, definitely. I think you had it in a, you put it in a very nice way. <laughs> Perfect. So I guess like before we wrap up, I do want to um, ask for your advice to anyone that is going into, and it can be the field of like, you know, air or environment and climate change, but it could also be any other field that is difficult that, and you need to push boundaries in order to make progress and really you know, work hard at it. So whoever is going through that, what would be your advice to, to them? I would say, um, be curious. That's a, that's a very important thing. That's how we um, really advance knowledge, mm -hmm. right? And on the personal level, it's also how to make people happy when doing what they're doing and uh, be curious and uh, start to talk to people and especially talk to people who uh, don't like you <laughs> <laughs> i think that's this this podcast will be uh, uh, something interesting in, in a way in that way right i, I would never imagine that talk to um, you and yeah <laughs> uh, and also uh, a podcast related to those uh, building designers right and so that's i think it's, it's a good way to talk to different people and that may give you some different ideas and in, in terms of what you want to do 
definitely. I mean, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Like, that's the entire reason of this podcast even exists. You know, we learned exactly. so much on these episodes and and we clearly go in knowing almost nothing about most of the subjects. So uh, we really see firsthand the benefit of this, like, the public expert interviews that we're doing and exposure is a great tool for any creative and designer and innovator really in the space as well. And to add to that, to your point, curiosity definitely uh, pushes knowledge and I guess um, innovation too. So um, thank you so much, Lou. This was so great. Uh, I would like to ask any updates we should be aware of, anything we should follow, any publications you would like to share with the audience? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a lot of going on. <laughs> <laughs> List all of them. It's important. <laughs> that's that's a lot of going on. We do have we do have a new publication just uh, coming out. Um, to talk about those, what's uh, um, what's actually in the uh, smoke? Mm. Just um, answer this simple question: What's in the smoke? And um, with the current technology, we detected more than 150 different. Uh, trace gases. I mean, there's just specific VOCs and mm -hmm. people have never, most things people just have never paid attention to. Um, mm -hmm. And then we don't even, we know that it's, it's through those earlier laboratory experiments, but this would be um, one to report in actually real actual fires, you know, fire smoke. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the recent um, publications we have. Perfect. Well, certainly, if it's already online and public, we will certainly share links of that. And we encourage everyone to follow your work and really educate yourself and ourselves in uh, what we simply breathe and yeah. what is out there in the air. <laughs> thank you so much, Lou. Well, thank you so much for having me. Have a great one. We'll keep you, you posted. You as well. Bye-bye. And that is this week's episode of What's Wrong With The Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links can be found in the episode description, and you can also find them on our website, podcast.whatswrongwith.xyz. If you found value in the show, we would appreciate if you could rate us and leave a review, or you can simply tell your friends about us. For more details on our guests, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to join us next week. Thank you for listening.